Hey everybody, it's Ian King, founder of King Sports International. Innovative training methods that have changed the way the world trains today. Our guest is Kathy Millen. Kathy, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you, Ian? You good? Fantastic, thanks, Kathy, and welcome to the call. Great to have you on the call. And Kathy, we're just going to chat. In, not, nothing structured, but um, yep. I'll, I'll give a really brief intro, but I'll let you do more more of an intro. Um, as the listeners will get to hear, you know, you, you're, you're, you're a Kiwi from, from the land of long white cloud, the beautiful country of New Zealand. Um, and you have a, a, a very impressive uh, background in lifting, which we'll get to learn more about, five-time world champion. So, Kathy, I'd like to start off with um, a little bit about, uh, I think in your case, how you got into strength training. I believe it was a great story about getting stronger for another sport. Yes, um, I was quite a keen tennis player, and at the, at the age of fourteen, and I heard that the top I was regional level. I was, you know, I'd started competing um, in sort of like junior nationals. I wasn't, you know, right up there, but I wanted to get better. And I heard the 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 top players were weight training, so I thought, oh, you know. And I had a father who was very cool with letting me go and try things, so. I popped down to the local YMCA in Christchurch, which is where I'm from, and sort of started it there. And um, a powerlifter was the one that took me under his wing, and that's really how I got into powerlifting, that I got exposed to it straight away. So how old were you then, um, Kevin? Yeah, I was 14. I was 14 years old. And it was, as you can imagine, in the 80s, I think it was 1982, it was unheard of. <laughs> you played netball or you did Pittman's typing at school. So it was when I first told my friends in assembly, they laughed at me because it was just it was just such a different thing to do, you know. And I think like 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 a lot of people it was I think people thought it was going to be a fly by night sort of a thing. Well, absolutely. Nineteen eighty two, um, it's my third year in the industry, and and I can tell you that. Strength training in in uh, you know this in the Asia Pacific region was was just something that was just wasn't done. You had a very small following in powerlifting and weightlifting, um, but I could tell you, track and field athletes were the only ones that I reckon embraced strength training full stop in in That's our region. And and um, the Americans probably about a decade earlier, but really, um, 1982. You know, we, I, I was training with lifters and, and, and throwers, and that was about it. So, yeah, you were really on the forefront of strength training for another sport. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when I went down to the YMCA, they, they told me, they had, you know, you can imagine, it's a chalky, dusty gym, which I love the, the beginnings because I think there was one other gym, or two others maybe that I can remember in, in Christchurch, and, and one was all chrome universal gear. So you'd know what that would have looked like. It was like Silver City when you walked in. But when I when I went down to inquire about it, the only thing they had anything structured was weightlifting for boys. And that was on a Saturday morning, and I went in to see if I was able to join in, but it was weightlifting for boys. So I had to go back on the Monday when, you know, and actually I would have been probably walked out if I hadn't walked in on that Monday afternoon. It was after school, and, you know, obviously I didn't, I looked the odd one out because it was all grown men in there. And um, and this and my first coach Kevin Coyne was absolutely stone deaf. He didn't actually he could he could read lips beautifully, but he he didn't wear hearing aids and he actually thought my I had said Kathy. So my 
my my my given name is Catherine and my family name is Kate. But Kathy was not on the cards and my mother actually didn't like it, but it just stuck. <laughs> and it was easy. So that's how I actually got no, known as Kathy. So wow. to, mm, tell, a little bit different. A few interesting things for me there. My first exposure in strength training was in the mid-60s in Port Mosby in the YMCA. And my yes. mentor was a, a man who couldn't hear and couldn't make a, 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 a understandable word, a decipherable word because of his deafness, his lifelong deafness. Wow. How's that? I know, that's parallels there. <laughs> but um, this guy could talk pretty good, you know, but you didn't really need to say like, he could, amazing lip reader, he was really, really good at that. And so we just forged a lovely friendship from there. Wow, and you know, when you talk about the universal, um, you know, people think it's really weird, but even at the University of Queensland in, in, the, in the first half of the 1980s, the dominant piece of equipment in that gym was the, the, the lever, not the what I call the dynamic variable resistance universal machine. And I reckon, you know, I reckon you know what I'm talking about. And, and before people think we were backwards, I can tell you now, if you look at the pictures <laughs> of, of the Nebraska University and other university gyms in America in the 70s, they had exactly the same piece of equipment in the centerpiece of their gyms about 10 years before then. Yeah, there wasn't really much choice. <laughs> and it was, yeah, yeah. And there was one or two really weird people that were doing free weight training. <laughs> well, actually, the funniest thing in that gym, in that particular gym, that's what there was. You know, it was, it was actually, there was two platforms. There was squat racks, you know, it was, it was a little bit primitive, but actually even by today's standards, it would be okay, you know. Um, there was a lot of free weights. Uh, there was a, you know, there was like sit-up boards and stuff like that. But there was, a, you know, their cables were bits of rope, I think. <laughs> you know, weights just sort of slid onto this sort of metal metal thing. It wasn't like um, like plated things. Like, you know, it was, it was a little bit backward like that. But it had everything you need, you know. It was perfect. Absolutely. And did, yeah. did New Zealand at that time have a big history of weightlifting or powerlifting at, at an international or a regional level? Well, we had um, at, in, at weightlifting, yes, like Graham May, there was Tony Ebert, I believe, the Precious McKenzie, of course, which, who, who did powerlifting as well. And so we had actually done quite well, I think, on, an, on a Commonwealth level, not, a, not so much on an Olympic level, but on a Commonwealth level in the 74 games, we'd won I think at least a couple of golds, if I'm right. I mean, my coach, my old coach, would know know that one. But um, I'm pretty sure we did pretty well on that level, and so we were known to have a bit of a back a background um, in weightlifting more than powerlifting. But I think the powerlifting federation, my coach Graham Fong, was actually the one that kicked it off with another guy from up north. So there was weightlifting, and then I think um, I God, I'm trying to think, was it '78? was actually when they started the Powerlifting Federation, the NZPF. So it wasn't really that long. It, wasn't, it was still in its infancy when I started. Absolutely. And a very mm. small sport um, because that was my introduction um, at the same time. I started competing and lifting in, in about 82 and very small sport in Australia. Like you, you, you knew everybody who lifted. Yes. Um, you, you didn't need a big piece of paper to write everyone's names down. <laughs> no, that's right. And um, it was the same like that here, actually. You knew everyone. And actually, for quite a while, it was a bit like that. It's only in the last probably, oh, 
probably five, maybe 10 years that it's really sort of taken off, especially since CrossFit, but, which is nice to see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We'll come back and talk about yeah. what's happening now. Uh, before we do that, so yep. you started at 14 and your yep. first world championship, how old? Uh, my first comp? Your first world championship. Oh, so I was 16. So I obviously was quite strong when I went to the jump. And I mean, I, I didn't know that, but I, I found out that I was because they told me. And so I had an opportunity to go to the Worlds, which was in Adelaide in 1983. And they had no, they didn't have any sub juniors or juniors who were open, and that was it. So I'd qualified. Um, uh, how did I? I went, yep, I went, it was in May 1983, and I got second in my first Worlds. So that was quite cool. <laughs> and I did, I did a, uh, what got me that, what got me second was my deadlift. I did 180 at 60 kilos at 16. Wow. So, so yeah. Yeah, I was quite wrapped about that. <laughs> it was unusual, and of course, it was daunting. You can imagine in the eighties, early eighties, um, just the scene back then <laughs> when you went and I was a school kid. I actually wasn't the youngest, believe it or not. I think it was someone who was fifteen. It was a Canadian girl, but it was a different sort of um, look. If you wanted the face of IPF lifting, then it was quite different. So, but you know, hey, I was welcomed. I was, um, you know, I had uh, a wonderful experience. So it was it was a nice intro to the to the international aspect of lifting. Very yeah, great to hear. And, and that, what was the the organisation that ran that event? Um, that would have been oh you'd know him. He had a beard. He was um you know yeah. there would have been Gail Martin was there. Bear Francis was there. Um, was it IPF? It was IPF. Yeah, it was the IPF. There was only really like there wasn't actually many choices. I think in New Zealand there was only IPF. So well, that I think was there was choices. Australia at that time also. Yeah. And, and then I think, well, Congress came in a little while later when any France sort of separated from IPF and, and went, I think he I think he started it off, but it was quite a while after, and that wasn't really an option at all for me. You know, I wasn't interested in that. So so IPF was it. Yeah. That, that were the unified days when there was only really one. Oh, yeah. One organisation, at least from Asia-Pacific. So then you, following year, how did you go the following year? The following year, I actually didn't do so well. I went to LA. Um, that's when Fred Hatfield was running. It was in a high school. It wasn't very well organised. There was, you know, no money was put in. I think we had pizza or something. <laughs> I couldn't even go to the. I couldn't even go to the um, to where they were having the the the, the awards because I was under twenty one. <laughs> I missed out. I wasn't allowed in the event and then in the, in the place it was, but it wasn't particularly well organised. I didn't do didn't lift very well. It was actually probably, you know, I sort of like bailed out a little bit for a while there, and it wasn't until in my twenties that I came back with a vengeance, and then I did well. Yeah, yeah. Probably five, just a little too young. Yeah, five world championships, five world titles in a row, five years consecutively. Yeah, yeah. I came in in nineteen ninety. And I'd had a great build-up. Um, they didn't see me coming, which is, I like that even more. <laughs> and, you know, I was just sort of like, oh, yeah, New Zealand. Oh, yeah, we've heard about her. Oh, yeah, she left a da-da-da. You know, oh, yeah, she fell off a wall and she hurt herself and da-da-da and all that sort of thing. There was all these sort of talk, but I was not a threat because there, there wasn't really anything out there. So um, when I when I won it, <laughs> it was like, and I didn't expect to get a world record either, but, you know, when I won it, and it was in Sweden, so you had to travel. Back then you, had, you couldn't 
you couldn't cross over the ditch and break world records. You had to go to where the world records championships were. So, you know, it was all that, the traveling, all that aspect of it. And um, it was actually a great experience to come in and, and to lift well like that and, and hold my own, you know. So that set, set the benchmark then. And then I was sort of knowing a little bit. But even then, even then after that, it was, you know, I think people didn't really, oh, they took me seriously, but I don't, then I just got better and better, you know. That's why I got more experienced. Mm. So you took a world record in the bench. What about the other lifts? Um, it was actually, I think, God, if I remember correctly, it was in the um, deadlift and I think the total. And so that was in the 75 kilo class, but it was in the next year in India where I sort of, I think I took them in all of them apart from one. And uh, the Indian girl took, uh, there was a, like a battle um, in the squat, but then she tested positive. And so I managed to, you know, I got the glory afterwards. But that's when I won my first Champions of Champions. And um, that's not an easy thing to do as a slightly heavier lifter. Yeah. Absolutely. And you've also got recognised in the Guinness World Record book. Yes. Yep. When they used to um, put us in there, that was uh, actually, that was actually really cool too. I sort of think I was, they said I was the most successful female lifter at that time and that was purely because the amount of records that I was breaking um and and most of the lifts and that was the total you know really that and then the total so I'd, I'd get them in each lift and then I'd like break my own records I mean they don't count you know but they sort of do count in a way you're just not recorded as such so um I think and you know from it was from really 91 through to actually when I finished in 90 at the end of 94 that you know, I was sort of. It would be unusual if I didn't get two or three records in a, in a, in an event. And then they had like the World Games. You know, they had what our version of the Olympic was, the smaller sports or the minority sports. And then that was another sort of event that I'd compete in as well once that came on the map. So mid nineties, you retired from competition. Yes, I retired from competition. Um, I had a bit of a break. I was sort of obviously working and all that sort of thing and um, got into other things. And then I had a dabble at bodyboarding. I, I sort of got into bodyboarding because I was always told my coach said, oh, no, you'll never be able to compete to bodyboarding. Your hips are too wide and you're not disciplined with your food. <laughs> and then that's the, that's the time I became a uh, – I moved back from Hamilton to Auckland and I became a personal trainer. You know, it was in the days you could, you could, you know, I could actually could use my lifting background to be able to get into that without having like some sort of multiple degrees and stuff like that. So, I went to Les Mills in the in the city, their big sort of hub of of Les Mills, and and started there. And then I just decided to, I started without putting pressure on myself. I just started tidying up my food. Um, you know, it's obviously, you know, it's of the industry where you need to really. It helps if you you look good in what you're doing and then I, I lost weight and I got into a, into a healthy shape and then I and then I decided 16 weeks out that I would compete and um and that was my first bodyboarding I think I'm just trying to think now I think it was in 90 oh 97 98 down there yeah there was a bit of a gap that I didn't do any competing at all yeah I, I was very impressed with that it's good to see an athlete do stuff in retirement like you did, and um, just fulfil that that um, that wonderment of it. You know, what would it be like to go in a, that sport, yes. for example? Yeah, yeah, and, and it wasn't. It's not an easy sport, you know. It's like, um, you know, for your 
for your 60 seconds of glory on stage, it's a lot yeah. of bloody work, you know. And, and and I never, never, ever thought I'd get in a bikini, you know, prancing around and doing a posing routine of people. But, you know, I actually like, again, a bit like lifting, I sort of wrote, wrote because of my background, I think, in palleting, it gave me a, a really good solid base. And so, you know, because I obviously kept training and, um, and my hips actually are quite naturally narrow, you know. So, you know, they just had thickened up, or I'd thickened up with my size with lifting. But when I got into bodybuilding and started slimming down, and I wasn't doing the same weights, and I wasn't doing like a wide stance sort of powerlifting um, squat. So, you know, it was more bodybuilding type training. But actually, that's when I started using your methods, you know, reading about your stuff. And so I actually applied that to my bodybuilding training, and it actually gave me, you know, a great base. And, um, so, you know, I went to, I think I did a few local, like I did a Auckland, I did a regional and then a nationals, and then I got qualified to go to the Worlds in Poland, but I never went to that one. That was the NZBB one. I actually ended up going, because they had, they had it in, they had never Universal, the Univers Miss Universe in Christchurch, which is where I was from. So I decided to go in that one instead and did my, and got second to an Australian woman actually. Christine um, Everill, she's very, very well known. Like she was like six or seven time Miss Universe, and and you know I had a I had a good chance against her. But she, you know when you're known like that, it's it's hard to knock someone off their perch. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Being so successful, but in a sport that well, I mean it moved on since the eighties, a bit bigger. Do you, do you feel that? In the in, in the first half of the nineties, that you've got the recognition that you would have if you'd had the same success in another sport. Um, you know, when I look back at that time, I actually think I did very well with the recognition yeah. I got because in New Zealand I got interviews. I was going to these kiddies programs. So you know, like um, I got I was asked to do little talks because it was so different. And mm. um, when I when I won my first world, they actually. They actually had me on what was, it was like, um, you know, after the news, they have like a current affairs type thing. Well, they wanted to interview me. Um, Paul Holmes was the guy. He, he's since passed, but he was well known in that time. Now, my coach didn't want me to go on it because he's scared they'd be throwing curly questions at me. And But, you know, the fact is they actually wanted to do an interview with me. So there was exposure. You know, now, I mean, we have a very, very good lifter here now. And, and Brett, Brett Gibbs doesn't get any exposure. He Like, he's got a massive... Um, probably internet exposure, you know, but but on the news, it, you uh, you know, I would have got more exposure back then than I did now. So I thought I did okay, actually. No, good point. And I think New Zealand do a good job of recognising their successful athletes too. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it's now there's just so many, you know, it's um it's hard to get a, you know, because I got like prime, you know, because you know it's like um, you know, when they do a TV and when they have the news, it's pr it's sort of like prime real estate, isn't it? When when they where they put you. In, in the sports and I was right up in the right in that sort of prime time so when I look back now I think I actually did and, and it's the same with funding you know um, I got probably I didn't get any less funding that I would have been as, a, as an individual in a sport than somebody wow. in swimming you know so in that sense I, they did look after me now it would be quite different yes yes I, I think um, I certainly got more I certainly got well treated by the media in the late 80s uh, with a lot of, lot less success than you had in, in powerlifting. Now, the, your, your success did attract a lot of people. I mean, you know, without without going into names, there was there was a high-profile North American who was pretty keen to 
claim you because you know one of the first things I read was how they were, <laughs> were training you and your bench press records was because of their incredible program design. We've had that chat before. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, but you know when you told me that, that was the first I'd heard about it because of course I right? don't really. Oh yeah, I, I, I don't really scour the net. I mean, I'd seen a book that this particular person had written, and I thought, oh okay, you know that was quite cool, but but I didn't realise. <laughs> How much he blooming got off it? I had no idea, and um, but it just sort of told me more about him than anything else. But I just sort of thought, um, you know, that was that was an interesting experience to find that out. And then then my other my my Graham Fong, my coach in New Zealand, said to me, oh, he actually was like almost a bit perturbed about. It. And I said to him, Graham, I never knew about it. I didn't know that he was going and saying all these things. I'm not on the net scouring all the articles and stuff like that. And you know, I just put the record straight here. As much I won't say names because we're not, but um, I got two programs through that person. They never saw me squat. They never saw me deadlift. They never saw me bench. You know, they came over here and did a um, like a seminar, and I attended the seminar and paid like everybody else. <laughs> Just like I was like, oh, you know, anyway. And you they know, probably yeah. offered. And they probably offered to send you the program, and I'm sure it came through the fax machine without any other discussion. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly how it came through. And I was waiting for it half the time. And I had to say this to that, is that I modified it. I modified it. Because I said, if I follow this, you know, this is like, there's no way I was going to be putting my wraps on there or changing, you know, there was what I what I loved about it. And what, then that sort of took me onto your work when I started looking a little bit into it was, you know, using speed of movement. You know, it was an accumulation and intensification phases as that was put to me. But, you know, I've obviously woken up and found out a lot more about those sorts of things, but it was different. And that's what I liked about it. It gave me a freshness towards my training because I did feel I was getting a bit stale, you know, at that time. Absolutely. So yeah. I've just come back from, a, again, another trip to Canada and I got to rub shoulders with a lot of uh, people that we, we have as you know, mutual acquaintances. Um, yes. Eddie Cohn and, and Kazmaier, et cetera, and, and they're, they're lifters that have been around for a long, long time. And um, you know, let's talk about the impacts of lifting on the body. You know, what, mm. you, you've not only had the opportunity to be successful as a young uh, lifter, you've, you've also had the opportunity to have the wisdom of, of time and, and, and learn, you know, the toll that heavy, heavy lifting or certain aspects of the way heavy lifting might be conducted that they can really challenge the body. And, you know, a lot of young people bulletproof in their mind and you know, don't, don't yeah. think too much. But, you, know, it, it, you know, it is kind of good to be able to still walk, you know, when you get to 50 still. And, and <laughs> That's right. And, and lift your arms above your head, which is quite a challenge for, I mean, I, there was a point where I actually started when I was doing your studies and then I was actually asking people that I knew, my era, like how many of them, had had shoulders or some sort of shoulder problems, 95% of them had either had one or two shoulder um, surgeries or had some limited range of movement. And the shoulders were probably the main thing, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I did have, because I was a big tennis player, I, I did coordinating sports like softball, table tennis, you know, racket type things, hockey. So I was uh, one of these kids that, what I learned is if you practice and practice and practice, you get good at things. So when I started lifting, I actually, from all your, actually, the stuff I've done with you, I realised now that I had imbalances coming into lifting at 14. So what I did get problems with in my lower back was sciatica, and I prolapsed a couple of times, you know. 
And so that was, I managed to train around, um, train, not through it. I mean, that's where, you know, if I look back at my training, one thing I never, ever did, and this is something I do want to push home to people, is I never overtrained, you know. I never overtrained, and I think that's, and I never um, just kept training through injuries. When I did prolapse, I, I just stopped. I was like six weeks out from a cop. Well, that wasn't going to happen. But then that was actually in 1989 before I, I lifted and won my first Worlds in 1990. Well, you know, that was just not going to happen. But that was a, a very valuable lesson, you know, because I was lifting. I just pushed it too much, lifted too much weight, and my form, you know, um, collapsed. So, you know, that, that would be, I'd say that was my problem areas was my lower back. But in saying that I've never had surgery, and I never want to have surgery, you know, I just don't, I don't understand it, you know, where people accept surgery like they do changing their undies. I just think it's you, lucky if you, it's going to be better as it was before, you know, so. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, then, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of actually interesting commentary coming out of, in the medical profession now, I think there must be a few papers. I haven't cited them uh, in, in hard copy, but I think there must have been a few papers released about the limited success of lower back surgery. So there's a, there seems to be a whole groundswell of recognition, which is which is refreshing within the medical profession. I was and I was with a specialist yesterday, um, recognizing, and, and I've got another client who's who's, who's um, works with a former uh, athlete I work with who's now an orthopedic surgeon, there seems to be a refreshingly recognition, at least outside of the orthopedics, um, the, the back specialists, the back specialists probably aren't buying into this, of the limited value of, um, of of what they're able to do when it comes to back surgery. So my, wow. my support for the athletes, is, it seems to be, it seems to be um, becoming more widely accepted that, you know, it's, it's a really big lucky dip and don't look for back surgery to be your solution. But would that, would that be the same in, in shoulder and, and knee or is that different? I haven't seen the same um, recent acknowledgement that I have in lower back surgery uh, in okay. shoulders. Uh, and listen, when I rehabilitated my, when I, when I say my, not mine personally, but when I rehabilitated the, my first shoulder reconstruction, and, I, 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 and it was in a Fijian boy, Ili Tambua, who was playing rugby for Australia, um, and there were two uh, two others in that era when I'd just taken them on, um, and I said to myself, I'm never going to I'm never going to allow this to happen to another uh, person because if you can imagine having a shoulder and then having a, a a band put in there to make your shoulder tight so you you lose range, you know they'll never have full range of their shoulders again, and oh, that in itself is so. Um, I think the definition of success in shoulders is probably different because when they're really hurting, like you know if you if you've torn a muscle off the bone or your ligament, etc. You can't lift your arm up. Well, they can lift their arm up after surgery, but it's it's never really the same. So, yeah, I, I think um, the definition of success might support shoulder surgery for a bit longer. But personally, I know actually, actually going back to my first rehab was um, Bronwyn Marshall in, in in about eighty six, uh, eighty eight Olympian, and you know after my first few, I just said it's just not right. You just don't want to see an athlete have surgery in the shoulder. But you and I know that in powerlifting, you know, the loading that you take through your shoulder in the bench press mm. is, 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 is substantial. I think powerlifters are very fortunate in the shoulder balance in that um, with, the, with the, and I've said this for many years, with the isometric contraction that, that, and, a, and a mild dynamic contraction being contracted in the upper back, you, the, the, the balancing of the shoulders is the best in any, any, in, of any strength sport. So weightlifters and, and, and powerlifters actually have pretty square shoulders. So it's not so much the imbalance, it's just the amount of load that goes through those shoulders that wear yes. the shoulder joint for the most part. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, don't, I think mine, I mean, I have, I've had little tears, 
you know, um, and my obviously my rotator cuffs are a little bit, I would say vulnerable. You know, I wouldn't, I, yeah. I probably, I don't want to load anymore like that. But it is, but I could still bench, and I could still, you know, do exercises. Most of the exercises actually, there's not actually, I don't have a limit, you know. Um, it's so I'm, I'm grateful for that. You know, I can go kayaking and I can throw ball and I can do stuff that you know. And I never want to not be able to do those things, you know. So. Um, I think overall my shoulder health is pretty damn good, really, considering my background. But I did have big breaks, and I didn't overtrain. And and I'll um, be interested, you know, when we'll, you know what what will happen 10, 15 years from now from young people that are training the way they're training, unless they suddenly, you know, sort of change their the way they're approaching it. Um, you know, the volume of lifters now is a lot more than it used to be. Yeah, so it, as, you, as you said before, and, and, and largely credited to CrossFit, the popularity has come up. But you know, let's 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 talk briefly about the impact. I mean, there's some mm. some of the some of the techniques, some of the the methods, some of the philosophies are being applied based upon our collective experience. Looking back, you know, for yes. competed, you know, 20, 30 years ago plus, and then the impact it's had on the body. Looking at our colleagues, our fellow lifters from the 80s and the 90s, and the impact it's had on their bodies. I mean. You know, I, I look at uh, Bill Kasmeyer and, and, and I look at some of the more recent ones and, you know, Bill's looking pretty good. And you know, okay. mm-hmm. there's a big difference between what the way Bill was lifting and the, and the way others have lifted since. And, and in the sport of powerlifting, let's let's talk about the width of stance. Now, you, you, we both know that there's some technical changes in lifting that have allowed them to lift more. And I don't, don't, I don't debate that whatsoever. It's allowed them to yeah. lift more. Yeah. But it, I think it comes at a pretty big price, and I don't think there's enough to counter it in the short term. And one of the concerns that I have is the width of the stance. I, I, I believe that the wider you go in your stance in a squat, the more pressure you put on the lateral aspect of your hip joint, and I think that pays a huge price. Well, that's yeah, and they well, I don't yeah, I don't normally they can't be half squatting with all due respect. You know, and, and you're talking about like the equipment that they allow to use now as well, because that actually allows you know some of the, if you go like the multi, I don't know what they call it now, but the seats, yeah. yeah, you know, multiply. I mean, granted, that's quite a small aspect of lifting. Raw is the way to go. I wish they had raw when I was around actually, because I quite all that mucking around with the wraps and stuff like that. It actually saves a lot of hassle, but I like yeah. that aspect of it. So. Yeah, so I like how it's got in terms of IPF and, and other federations. It's it's actually quite it's actually more popular now than than equipped. Um, but yeah, that's interesting about what you say. I I, I, I suppose we'll see more problems in their in their physiques or their hips as we go on. Well, I think the incidence of hip surgery, and obviously I don't have the stats to to, to support it, and people always want some sort of published article, but. Um, I, I, I believe that the incidence of hip surgery is increasing in, in, in a correlated way with the width of the stance. And listening to Casemire, look at lifted in the 80s, uh, back in the 70s, and he'll say himself, he, he wasn't using the wider stances. And he, he almost says that regretfully because he would have liked to lift more. But from, from, from the health of his hips, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy with him that he didn't. So th- there, are, there are a few things that are happening there that, you know, we've just learnt to lift more, and that's great. But if if you're lifting for sport, if you're doing strength training for sport, and and you you took yeah. powerlifting from the 80s, it would be less damaging than if you took powerlifting from the 2000 plus. Because if you model powerlifting now and you're playing another sport, you've just added another injury layer that you didn't need. Are you finding that in that that, that the that other athletes or other sports are using these 
modified methods now. Well, absolutely, and, and I can tell you this because um, there's a really popular uh, school of thought coming out of um, certain aspects in North America without getting too specific. And yep. I've, I've seen in, in sporting teams with a large sample size that I've watched over many, many years, and I've seen their strength coach go and get influence and, and come back and implement those strategies. And I've seen I've seen a substantial increase in the incidence of ACL reconstructions and shoulder, shoulder surgery. And wow. Because I am very uh, familiar with that sport, with that team, with the players in the team, the spike in injuries left me no doubt that it's not, for me, it's not adequate for a strength coach just to, to go and say, okay, they're lifting more. Because if they're lifting more in stances and, and with techniques that yes. are paying the price for them in sport, they're actually stealing from the athlete's career and they're stealing from their long-term health. Uh, and, and like one of the boys from that era I'm talking about, he's up to 15 surgeries. Um, and, and oh, I'm, my I'm, God. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a Kiwi boy playing in a certain sport uh, in Australia. Yeah. Um, and, and the rest of them, I, I don't think there'd be many of them in that in that sample size I'm talking about that, that weren't into double digits of surgery um, throughout their career. Oh, my God. It's frightening. And it's, it's not something that we get to talk about often because people don't want to hear it and, and actually people don't even want to talk about it. But I, I'm telling you firsthand from my observations, there was a spike in injuries when those lifting methods were applied. So, you know, it's, if anybody's interested and want to keep the athletes healthy, I think there's a big difference between modelling powerlifting in the 80s and modelling powerlifting as it stands now. Yes, and, and that's, that's just, very good. That's just and then you go into CrossFit. Now, you know, I've never openly bashed CrossFit because I actually respect what the bloke's done. He's, he's created a, a, a phenomenal movement around the world. But at the same time, if, if someone comes to you and says, um, well, actually, I won't tell you what I'm thinking. What, what have you seen the impacts of CrossFit? For powerlifting? Or just for yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously it's it's, it's exploded in powerlifting because it, but the interesting thing about the CrossFit side of it is that people that were getting injured in in, in, in CrossFit were coming into powerlifting. So you know there was and then and then some of them just like the weights, you know, because I, I think they just never really understood or never were exposed to the sport. So of course squatting, deadlifting, the Olympic lifts are a big part of you know um, of of cross, CrossFit repertoire of exercises, but in saying that, you know, now that's sort of from people I know that are really heavily interested in, in CrossFit and compete, some of the things that they're getting them to do now at an elite level are just, you know, almost like it's getting weirder and more extreme, you know, um, to some of the exercises they have to do. So I think it's, you know, it's, you know, where will it stop? You know, that's, that's the thing. People just keep pushing yeah. their bodies and, um, yeah. you know, and, and as you know, you know, injuries are, are, are galore. And, and CrossFit. So. Imagine what they'll be like 20 years' time. I mean, oh, oh it, you can only imagine. Yeah. There'll be, be no surprise to me when they, you know, someone comes up with a conclusion in 20 years' time that perhaps what was being done in CrossFit, you know, in the year 2010 onwards wasn't wasn't healthy. But that's that's another discussion. Yeah, what we're yeah. going to do is uh, open the floor up. We've got a few on the call, and uh, I just want to let you know that I encourage you to ask Kathy questions. Um, for those of you new to the technology we use, uh, just Find the button that says "Put your hand up." Um, if, if you can't work that out, send me a Facebook message. But uh, I know Kathy would be very keen to dialogue with you, and take your questions. So uh, yep. make sure you put your hand up. Uh, so I'm looking for hands up as we talk, and as soon as I see your hand up, we'll jump in and and get Kathy sharing her experiences. 
with you. So, Kathy, moving um, forward, how do you see the future of, of the lifting sports? Well, I mean, it's like in New Zealand. It has definitely like the IPF. Is that what you mean, like in the lifting side of things? It is yeah, lifting growing. side. Of things, like, yeah, yeah, it is. It is absolutely growing on a, on a big scale. I mean, uh, and, and IPF have definitely grown, but you know, we're a small country, and yet we've got probably God trying to think. One, two, three, and then there's books well, so started up a new federation. So there's like about four or five, you know, federations in New Zealand. So it's fragmenting it a little bit. But you know, I thought I thought two was enough. <laughs> when GPC came in or, or whatever it was, um, Capo, and you know, I thought that was enough. But then now there's like probably another two on top of it. So it's growing, um, but it is fragmenting the numbers a little bit. So it's nice to see that you know. I think now they've got to have uh, even the, uh, the nationals are over at least over two days, sometimes three days. So that was unheard of, you know. So that that's wonderful to see, you know, and we're getting um, good numbers going to the world it, it, from sub-junior level right through to masters. So there's a good representation, as I understand, a good representation um, of New Zealand lifting. Uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's, it can only go from strength to strength. I just wish yeah. the training was a little bit more. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I'm a little out of touch, Jen, to be honest. I, I hear more just the odd thing I read or from my coach who's still quite involved on the um, administration side of it, you know, um, but I don't, you know, I don't really see uh, in the training side of it, even though I haven't been in touch for the last probably a year to two years, I don't see anything that's exciting. I see a lot of systems. So I see the heavy influence of American system, systematic way of training, and I'm not going to knock it because people have some really good results, but I'd like to see where the individuality is in their training, and I don't hear a lot of it. Yeah, that's that, that's opening a whole new um, discussion yeah. on that because yeah. the whole the word individualization, and I've been banging on this for some time. I, I, when I read about it in a textbook in the early '80s or wherever wherever I first saw it, I thought, yeah, that that's really good. That's a really good principle of training. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and that that was I just thought that's what you do. And then I'm turned around 40 years later, and still they're not they're like who's doing it. Like I just don't understand why. You know, I say if if everyone in their your suburb took their car to the garage on the same day and all got the same service, you'd be up in arms. But and that's your car. You know, your car's got different needs. Why would you yeah. have the same service for everybody? So what are we all doing the same strength programs or same strength training programs? But yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that, Kathy. I don't know why individualisation hasn't been embraced. But have you? Do you, I mean, you're right, right at it. Is there anything new that you see in the street training, like? qualities or methods that people are doing. I just see a, re, you know, like, you know, uh, they take bits and pieces of different things. This, I don't see anything new from what I know. And I'm just yeah, absolutely. you seeing anything yeah. new, that anything actually new that, that, that has merit. And, that, and that's what I, I, I like to look at everything that comes comes across the table and, and ask, well, what's the origin? Where did it come from? And, and as you said, for the most part, they've either slipped in some sort of Soviet or Russian word to give it, give it the impression of mystique, uh, and that's still holding the same power as it did, you know, 30, 40 years ago, or <laughs> it's just a, just a tweak of some some combination thing. It's it's pretty, they're pre, it's a pretty messed up. But um, yeah, no, it's 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 probably more effort to be honest. There's probably more effort more effort put into marketing these days than there is into actual development of training. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Um, you, you know, it, it's if your success is measured by your Instagram numbers and your Facebook followers, etc., 
Um, <laughs> there's no correlation between that and, and your competency, and 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 that's the reality of it. And that's not a bitch. That's just the reality of it. And, and if I've got coaches in my program who are at the, at the very bottom of the end of our program, they're they're well-intended, good people, but they've like, there's a lot of opportunity for them to improve, and some of them have the highest. Instagram followers, you know, in now in, in our entire coaching program, there's no correlation between that and competency. But um, you know, it it really does. We're in a world of marketing, and 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 for a, a student of the industry to be the best they can be, they've got to have the uh, discernment, the wisdom, just to, to put that aside and and go looking for it. Um, you know, the, the willingness to to travel the world, and I don't mean travel the world in the way we used to ha have to do so. I mean we used to have to literally travel the world. These days, you can you can travel the world through the internet, but to travel the world and understand, um, you know, like really dig deep on training methods and and understand uh, origins and influences to make a better decision about what to follow. Because at the moment, um, people are just uh, being influenced to follow um, the greatest market. For example, I had a young fellow come to me many many years ago and said, "You know, I've had my first ACL surgery, and I tried to. You know, can you help me?" And I tried to help him, but they weren't interested in some of the things I was saying. And within twelve months, they were on the internet as an expert on on, on uh, rehabilitating knees. And like, <laughs> like really? Um, you know, yeah. you, you've twelve months into your own. Like at the time, I was about thirty years into rehabilitating mine. I had a little bit more experience, but uh, it just goes to show that. It, it's not about the experience, and again, I'm not. This is not a criticism. This is a reality. This is this yeah. is the way the world is rolling at this point in time, and um, you know the attention span is getting shorter and shorter. And you know, I, I can remember you know magazines used to come out once a month, and it used to be once a week, and then it, on the internet, and then it had to be three times a week, and then it had to be once a day, and then it had to be three times a day, and um, it, it's just shortening the attention span. So. I don't think anyone's really interested in digging deep and, and, and taking the time. I mean, Tudor Bomber to develop what he did probably took, you know, the best part of his life to develop what he did. Um, you know, who's going to do that these days? You, when you want to be a, you want, you can be an Instagram hero within a week. Um, and in actual fact, and, and no dis, disrespect to, to anyone involved, but I think his work's being diluted in the more recent editions than it was in the original editions. Um, so even that's not advancing. Yes, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, and you just seem to get away from it because, as you say, people don't tend to read or tend to look for the history. Even in some of these systems of training, I think if you actually break them down, there's nothing new in them. The little I know of, of some of these uh, systems, I look at them, I think, well, that's not new. That's not new, you know, the different aspects of it. So, But people take it like, oh, it's the, it's the greatest thing. And I thought, well, I was doing speed of movement, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't even think, yeah, I don't absolutely. even know if they do that, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. I, anyway. I tell you another one. I've got, a, I've got a lovely colleague, actually, a powerlifter in America, and he's, he's promoting um, a, a system where, you know, you rub parts of your body to, to, to stimulate the, 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 the nervous system. By and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if you remember whether you, you got exposed. It's back in, the, in about the mid-'80s, maybe early 80s, um, this this concept came across for you know rub a circle on your sternum in preparation for a lift. I don't know if you you remember those days. It. No, yeah, no. So that I, I'm not sure where I picked that up from. I mean, I, I was in in a lifting club with a lot of diverse um, throwers, so I'm not sure where it came from. But you know, that's just a repopularization of a of a technique from from way way back. But um, 
it's interesting that you do make that comment because that's certainly my observations, Kathy. Mm. Uh, the, the younger ones, I feel a bit sorry for. I mean, you know, they're coming into the industry as a, as a let's just use the word personal trainer. I mean, it's it's pretty tough for them because they'll just they're just overloaded with information and and they'll, they're more likely just to gravitate to the the best sounding story. Uh, you know, the best bit of marketing. Yeah. And what their mates are doing, which seems to be quite common. Yeah. So yep. post 2000, I feel a bit sorry for them. But um, you you were able to take your experience in lifting and and apply that moving forward to help others and to, to help yourself in your own, you know, maintaining nice quality of life. That's right. And really when you get, you know, to our age, <laughs> we're not old, but, you know, you do think about that. You think, well, I want to be able to move. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the shape I was, but I'm, I'm actually very comfortable with that. And I think that's the other thing too, just but, but I have my shoulder, that I have my leg, my hips and my knees <laughs> and my ankles. And I just think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed for that. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, I don't find too many people are really, not, and I'm not really out there that the same Ian, as I used to be, but, you know, they're not really interested in that. And when I, when I like, I, even though I'm not doing a lot in the gym, I, one thing I always try is I always stretch before I do anything. If anything, I do stretch, more stretching than anything. So it's an interesting thing that, you know, the concept of that is like, oh, I don't have the time. <laughs> and I think, well, you know, yeah. And they've already got problems. So, you know, you can only, you can only, um, can only teach the way someone who wants to learn. Yeah, it's the stretching ones are yeah. all the whole, whole interesting ones. That's one. another thing. Yeah. <laughs> But it did note about it at our at our age and, and with the loads that we've been exposed to. Every morning when I get up, if I can lift my arm up and, and, and pick up an object, I'm very happy because you know what it's like. You know, like I've never had surgery on my shoulder. I have no intention of doing so. But just like yourself, I've I got a bit of wear and tear there. And um, you know, if I lie on the side like you when you're sleeping, you, you often lose feeling in your arms. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, I just appreciate the ability that I can use my arm um, despite the loading that has been through. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, but it's nice I'm to hear that Billy, yeah, Billy and them are still going. There's been a few losses yeah, last yeah. year, I think. Yeah, yeah. So have you had much contact with, with Ed lately, Ed Cohen? I, look, no, I don't. I don't Um, I don't at all. He's uh, Only when I saw him over at the, there was the GPC Worlds or something all that, that time, you know, it's a number of years ago now, but no, I haven't... Um, I sent a free request, but I didn't get accepted. <laughs> Maybe he, he's got too many, probably. But um, I, yeah. So I don't. I only hear through the great ones. But you probably seen him, you know, at the um, what is it? The that annual <laughs> strength. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He still. He seems to be still very, very popular. You know, he's, people still look. They still hold him in high regard, which is lovely to say. You know, they don't. Absolutely. You, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't um, you know, not many, too many people have, have done what he's achieved, you know. And he still, he still, he still squats with his hips. He, I mean, he's had, a, he's had a hip replacement. So, I mean, I was quite impressed when I saw him doing 300 kilos raw for about three reps or something. I thought, well, good on you, you know. Still yeah, I think he might, even have, he might have even had two um, hip surgeries. But, yeah, he's got oh, um, okay. a lot of respect. And, and, and I think one of the reasons he can still lift um, is that he's actually, his training volume has been... I was always impressed with his, his 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 rational approach to training. He was he was a really uh, a smart thinker. I thought about training load. Yes, um, I I, th I think he's one of the most intelligent lifters that I've seen coming through um, over over such a long period of time. So you know, I, I think he's got a lot to offer when it comes to yeah, definitely, yeah, highly respected.
Yeah, good man. Mm. And stressing, I'm glad to hear that you've um, caught that bug because I tell you, when I was when I was doing long, long, long static stretching before my for my lifting sessions, no one really cared. You know, they just used to step over me. Like you'd, I'd turn up at a train <laughs> session an hour and a half earlier, and I'd I'd go for it. I, I did notice. I did notice that the imports from the Great Britain, after the 82 uh, Commonwealth Games in Brisbane, we had a few come and stay over. So we had a few, um, in particular, two of the, the, the British um, weightlifting team join our club and become Australian residents. And I did notice that they were doing a, a little bit of stretching. But generally speaking, no one really cared. I did long, stre long, long stretching and served me well over the years. But um, these days, I think if you got down to the four and stretched for powerlifting, you'd probably get rocks thrown at you. I think you know now it's um you know now it's rolling, you know it's foam roller, you know that, that you do they do that not you know that's what I see it's the foam roller and they'll be rolling this and rolling that way. So <laughs> again it's it's and again it's it's those ones that have a high um, internet presence that 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 you know they you know and, and what they promote is quite interesting. But most of the ones I know don't 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 stretch, you know, or they don't have any sort of like certainly nothing compared to what they how they train. No, so, the, yeah. the wording in the wording in the dozen or so research articles, where they've taken someone and they've they've done some form of static stretch and then they've immediately done a strength strength test on them, like immediately afterwards, and and shown a mild decrease. Like really, that's what a surprise that would be. Um, but anyway, and how unrealistic is that? But the the, yes. the word used is you know stretching makes you weak, and you know just those words are like kryptonite to Superman. They're just so powerful. Like stretching makes you weak. It's yeah, um, it's it's had an it's had a, a, an amazing effect on the world, and I'm not just about strength athletes. On everybody, everyone said, "Well, shit, we can't do that." Like, you know, I, I, I wonder if they ever thought that playing sport makes you weak. You know, like training training your skill would make you weak. Like, you know, in actual fact, the travelling to the gym makes you weak. Did you know that? If they did a study where you, you did a 15 minute car trip, a 30 minute car trip, and a 45 minute car trip, compared to someone who was there for six hours beforehand. They'd probably find that the longer the car trip, the weaker in a little one-off test immediately after you get out of the car, of course, um, you'd have to include that travelling to the gym makes you weak. So, you know, where, <laughs> if you really wanted to, yeah, if you really wanted to be honest about it. So I've got some question marks about the motivations of these these research conclusions. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it would be would be. It's not to keep your joints healthy, and that's for sure. And and you know, yeah. but what also gets me is that they're not. I, I don't see a lot of free thinkers out there. Yes, <laughs> so it's I, I don't see a lot of people thinking for themselves and going, "Well, why aren't you questioning it?" You know, it's you know, and but that, that it's no, no, they'll go with the status quo still. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a the increased power to, to conform, but you know we we've all experienced that every time we yeah. stepped out of the box and done something different, people throw you know throw the rocks at you and hope that you come back and join them. But um, as you know, <laughs> it's really about what's best the body, and you don't you don't need a PhD to know what's best for your body. You just got to actually no. give it an objective go and say, well, after two months of experimenting with that, I've come to this conclusion, and therefore I'm going to do this. Mm. Yep, yep. They don't tend to want to do that. <laughs> No, no, I'll tell anyway. you what, Kathy. Wisdom often comes in um, comes in hindsight, and yeah, uh, there'll be some interesting discussions in about twenty years' time, won't there? Yep. Yeah, but we'll still be lifting our arms above our heads. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I don't look yeah, like I... any questions. People are too frightened. Wanting to ask, them. maybe what? they've got nothing to say. <laughs> 
No, no, we've, we've um, I think I've been dialoguing with them on Facebook. I think we've um, covered everything. We're covering some of their questions, but we just appreciate them being on the call and absorbing the history yeah. that you bring to the table. Um, it's you know, very nice. You're one of the pioneers in strength training, one of the strongest women in the world in your era, and you know, and, and you held it held it for you know five years in a row. You know, it's, it's pretty impressive. Thank you. And, and then to be able to look back, you know, 20, 30 years later and say, well, you know, take the lessons about, you know, if I had my time again, I'd change this, I'd do this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty powerful. So, you know, as we go towards rap, is it, in hindsight, is there anything that you would have done differently looking back? Oh, I would have stretched a lot more. I mean, I actually did do some stretching, believe it or not. I, I you know, like I, was, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but... But I actually did, still did 10, oh no, it's nothing, 10, 15 minutes before I stretched. So, I mean, I did but all, something. All, like, athletes, all athletes did that in that age because that was that was a norm. True. Yeah. So, but I don't even think, I don't see that now. No, no, they've removed it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But so, in that sense, I mean, I would definitely have stretched a lot more. I mean, I, one thing, you know, um, uh, I didn't use speed of movement. As a, as a method, you know, to, to, to you know, so that would be something like there'd be different strength qualities that I would bring into it and how I would cycle my training. I mean, the way I advocate training now is not how I train, but in saying that, I was very sensible in my training. And and my coach, when I got actually, um, not my first coach, but when, when I, grandfather was my main coach where I had the success, you know, he was an avid reader. So, you know, a lot of the stuff I was doing was sensible training. And so we, we, we listened. If I wasn't right, I didn't train or, or I'd back off on my training and stuff like that. So, you know, I was I feel when I look back like that, I was, I was grateful for those things. It wasn't just coming and, and train even they feel like crap. So it was, in that sense, there's, you know, there's definitely strength training methods in that that I would involve now and in the, the variety of type of training that I was doing. Um, but even then, I look, if, if, if I went, if I st did what I did back then, and did that now, I still feel I would be better off than a lot what, what I see out there. Absolutely. You know, because I put a lot of effort into, like, when I made changes to, you know, Graham got me going from, like, a, a medium start squat, medium bar to, you know, like, low. Uh, it was a, I used the Bridges Flare. <laughs> so you'd be yeah. familiar with that, Mike Bridges Flare. Yeah. So, I mean, I spent two years, you know, with Graham in the gym, actually nutting that out and trying to get it as best as I can. So I put a lot of effort into those things, you know, and and I just, um, you know, I see people who start out in their first 12 months or six months even in there and they're doing high arches and, you know, they're water cutting. Like this is another thing I see in lifting, water water loading or water cutting before they go into, I mean, that's an old bodyboarding method. And so there's all these interesting things that, that, that they've brought into lifting, but, you know, I think they, a lot of the younger lifters try to do too many advanced um, technical things early instead of just building a solid foundation. But I suppose that's a little the way of the world is, is just rushing things, you know, trying to get strong too quickly and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think I'm pretty I'm pretty happy. When I look back, I'm pretty happy with what I did. Yeah, it's great, Kathy. And yeah, yeah. Results, results have shown it too. There's a lot of... When you see someone successful like that for so long, you know there's some common sense has been applied. So I think that's what you yeah. and Eddie got. To yeah. yeah. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, Kelly. It's, it's been um, it's been great. As I said, um, I was always intrigued by that uh, 
that really strong bench out of New Zealand that my my colleague allegedly trained. But anyway, that, I joke. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You became internationally famous for a few months. I know, and I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't get any. I didn't get any, any royalties from the book either, and I paid for my no, training. No, that's true. <laughs> so, anyway, You're just another notch on the belt. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, I wish I'd only had known, but anyway, <laughs> it's all good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Ian. I appreciate being asked to come on this. It's really lovely. I don't get. I don't get a chance to talk about my lifting very often, and it's really nice when somebody, you know. You know, ask me to come and have a chat about it. It's, it's lovely. Thank you. No, you're welcome, and we appreciate you taking the time. You've, you've done a great job on your website too, Kathy. Um, oh, thank it's, you. It's so good because what probably people post 2000 don't understand is that you know prior to about 1990, we like we didn't take pictures. We got so little artifacts no, from that. Right. It's so true. Oh, yeah. I, I've got to get TV footage now. To, to show some of the things I did in the 80s and even in the 90s. I've got to find the TV footage uh, because we didn't take photos and we didn't have a video camera. Um, it's like it's, it's like it, it's a different world. So to see you collect the artefacts from back then, uh, I think it's important from a historical perspective because one of the things I think will help the future generations be better is to understand origins and influences. and that helps them get to a, a better conclusion faster than just having to rehash and, and stumble over the rehashment of, of poorly poorly interpreted content. So I like what you've done your site and I think it's important. Thank you. Now the URL for that site, Kathy, can you just tell me again? Uh, my, oh, it's just um, kathymillan.com. kathymillan.com, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really just a static website, and really, it's just to sort of show my history and my sporting career. Really, you know, it's, yeah. um, and I put a bit of effort into it because I thought, well, you know, when I'm gone, <laughs> it'd be nice to be remembered. I mean, they froze my records; they froze the bloody records in. So <laughs> it's like, but you know, like I think that happened in 2012, and you know, I never kept an eye on the records. I just never. I thought they were long gone, but then I found out there were still like two. You know, I think I still had two um, from. From all the others I get, so I was really wrapped about that, and then I realised actually maybe I wasn't too bad after. <laughs> I still have two records after twenty years, so that was I was wrapped. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Well, Kelly, really great to chat, and you, you yeah, know, you, thank you, Ian. I, I love bringing the, the the experiences that you have and, sh and putting them into, into an artifact. This is a audio recording that will go up on our podcast list at KSI. Or kingsports.net in the KSI radio section will be up in the next two weeks, and awesome. um, it will stay there. And, and, and some of the some of the topics we've covered just gives people the insights that I said the, the best students are the ones that are willing to to travel. And as I said, now it's just travel through the internet, but just digging a bit deeper than, than than the marketing material to find out who did what, when, and and how that's changed the way the world. And you know, you've done things that have changed the, the lifting, especially female lifting. I'm confident. Thank you, Ian. And I just want to just say this one thing is that, you know, it was actually from when I started, and granted I didn't go year after year to year after year to your um, coaching camps, but when you first assessed me over there and I realised, God, how much I still had to learn, oh, there was a lot, you know, and it's something I'd say to the people that are listening to this is that read your stuff, you know, make the effort to read your books and to go into your videos and to all that sort of thing because it absolutely changed the way I look 
how I would train people now. I didn't train, I wouldn't train people the way I used to train, even though the way I trained had, had merit, you know, but I'd say to people, be, you know, spend a little bit of money. You don't have to buy every single book, but, you know, get the main ones, especially how to write strength training programs. And there'd be, I don't think there's actually anything out there that I've seen that would cover it as in depth and give you a good baseline and foundation to write programs from. So here's my little plug for you, Ian. I'm very grateful. Oh, I, could have, I could have been heading to the blimmin' stage if I hadn't got you looking at me back then. So, um, yeah. Yeah, not, I, I believe that, and, and we, we've definitely done that to so many athletes. There are so many athletes who have denied their surgeon um, a little bit of income, and I'm really happy for that uh, yeah. because quality of life and surgery, they don't go too well together. Um, yeah. And I just released Volume 3 in that series, on how to teach how to write and then how to transfer, and then how to Kiwi. It's got a Kiwi athlete. We've, we've started shifting in some of our covers to using our own clients. Um, and there's a, a Kiwi athlete on the front cover of um, the how, how to Transfer Volume Three, so I thought you might oh, like that. Awesome! I oh, will. That's awesome, Ian. Thank you. Excellent. Well, appreciate everyone being yeah. on the call. I know you've taken great um, enjoyment from listening to Kathy and I dialogue. Great, great honour to have one of the greatest female lifters in the history of powerlifting on the call. Kathy, thanks for your time, and look forward to chatting again. Thanks, Ian. All the best. Take care. Have a lovely Christmas. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.